So today is an interesting day for our listeners. Mike is away and the kids will play. Welcome back to the show. My favorite pinch hitting show uh, guest host, Stephen Hackett. How are you, Stephen? I feel I'm great. Thank you for having me. But I feel like Mike being gone and me coming on is like not really the kids coming out to play. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> Mike's gone, so dad's here. <laughs> right. I'll be on my best behavior, daddy, I swear. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> use that term again. Uh, hi, I'm back. I love coming on Analog. I don't get to do it enough. So thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, Mike is away this week. And so I thought for a fleeting moment, like, ah, oh, who should I? No, I'll just have Stephen. It's always good when Stephen comes on. Like, it's not even worth trying to find somebody else because uh, I, I enjoy when you and I get a chance to talk uh, in a semi-professional capacity, you know, because uh, right. often we're just goofing off talking about cars or kids. I mean, look, there was intro music. It's going to be ads. This yeah. is a podcast, right? Yeah, this, like, this, is, is, this is it. We are doing the show. We are a professional podcasters. That's right. That's how it works. And, it, and because we are professional podcasters, we have to start with follow-up. And mm. I need to plug one of your shows, actually, coincidentally. I need to plug uh, Connected number 265 entitled, What Are You, a Dictionary? Um, you know, Connected is, and I hope you'll take this in the spirit I mean it, which is always a great way to start a, a statement. Um, Connected is a really weird show in the best possible <laughs> way. And I feel like if you haven't heard Connected and you want just kind of a, a little taste of what Connected is all about, episode 265, which was released on the 14th of October, it is Connected distilled to its bare essentials and it was delightful. So in this, and the reason this is in the follow-up section, Mike reviewed his, what is it, the Galaxy Fold? Is that right? The Samsung Galaxy Fold. Mm -hmm. So for analog listeners, you'll recall that last week, uh, Mike had received a phone call during the show from Samsung saying, oh, your Galaxy Fold is here. And he was very excited. And then on Connected 265 with Mr. Stephen Hackett, if you please, uh, they discussed the Galaxy Fold. And it was actually an annoyingly really great review and much more interesting than I wanted it to be because I kind of think this folding phone thing is a little bit of hooey at the moment. Maybe it won't yeah. be in the future, but today I think it's kind of hooey. I was very impressed by the review and, and I promise I'll give you a chance to talk here in a second, Stephen, but I also wanted to call attention to the now annual tradition of having Italian Federico Vitici try to guess the name of new emoji that are coming out in the uh, forthcoming update to iOS. It was a delightful disaster. And if you have not heard this yet, you need to because it is wonderful. I think the emoji picking game is my favorite annual tradition on Connected. Connected has, over the years, we've added more and more things to it. So Upgrade that Mike does with Jason has segments, right? They do Snell Talk and they have uh, Ask Upgrade and they have Upstream. And I love that formality to Upgrade, right? They have these segments, you know it's going to be in each one. Connected, we have just annual traditions. And so this new one <laughs> of emoji picking is my favorite. I was so excited when the, the news broke that, you know, hey, these are what the emoji are going to look like. And yeah, it, I think it is a good starting episode because it's not, it's sort of out of the timeline a little bit and you get a sense for the, the, the wacky places Connected can go. It's not weird every week, but it has the opportunity every week to, to do that. Yeah, it. I really enjoy Connected, and I think you guys being just barely similar enough to have common ground, but otherwise basically complete polar opposites from each other, like three different sure. points in a triangle, I think that's what makes that show so much fun. But 
when you guys when you guys really let yourselves just get off the rails, those are some of my favorite episodes, and I think that <laughs> they are so fun. And and the these traditions, such as the emoji naming game, uh, the the Jeremy's mm-hmm. are they're so good. And and one of my favorite moments in podcasting was oh, I believe it was at Dub Dub this year when Federico unveiled his new tattoo. Do I have that right yep. in my head? Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. So uh, Federico had guessed what was actually, what was the actual name of it? Virus or, or amoeba or something? Yeah, I think it's a, yeah, some sort of infection or something. I don't remember. Yeah, so we'll put a link in the show notes to Emojipedia. Um, uh, to the emoji that was, oh, microbe, there we go. It was a microbe that uh, that Federico had guessed on, on last year's, I think it was last year's uh, version of this tradition. He had guessed it was a, quote, weird fish quote. Mm-hmm. And so during the connected live recording at Dub Dub, uh, Federico had unveiled a new tattoo that was permanently on his skin. That is how tattoos work. Yes. And it is the microbe emoji. And oh my goodness, I lost my junk when I saw that. It was hilarious. And watching your two, your, your reaction, Mike's reaction was just priceless. It was genuinely upsetting when he <laughs> he showed that tattoo off and it you know I, someone asked me this recently so if i said this on a show forgive me i think it was in real life but what's on a podcast what is a podcast i don't i don't even know <laughs> nobody knows but connected is really the reason relay exists not today i mean Re- relay is much bigger than connected now it's grown well past it but in terms of the project that showed us that we could do this on our own and that we could be successful and have a big show. Like there was the prompt uh, back in the day and that became connected. We just rebranded it. And so really the prompt and the prompt and ATP are about the same age. Mm-hmm. It was just like the right idea for the show at the right time. And now the shows are really different from each other, but it really, because the prompt was successful, it kind of gave us the confidence to move forward with relay. And, and, and even though connected is not the biggest show anymore, it's still uh, a very important one, and I think one that a lot of people associate with Relay, probably because Mike and I are on it, but because it's one of the original shows as well. Yeah, Prompt only went 57 episodes? Golly, that is bananas. I know. I always think it's longer than a year, but it's not. <laughs> that is incredible, because my mental model of the Prompt is that it ran for easily two or three years. Nope. <laughs> I mean, clearly not, but that's my headcanon. Same. I, mean, I was on it, and I, every time <laughs> I look at that archive page, I think, Wow, is that right? Like, did I not import them all? I was like, nope, that's all, that's all correct. 57. That is bananas. All right, uh, I would like to tease a little bit of follow-up that we're not going to talk about this week, but we're going to talk about next week when Mike is here. But uh, somebody has been listening to Analog from the beginning just recently and found a very, oh, very boy. good... Yeah, and it found a very, very good little snippet from a very, very early Analog. And I don't want to get any more specific than that, but I'm going to tease that for next episode when Mike is back uh, because there's something pretty funny there uh, for he and I to talk about. So uh, I, I will leave that for you to wet your whistle for next week. Uh, but I wanted to reach back a little bit since you're here, Stephen. And even though this is barely follow up because it happened, uh, what, last month? God, it feels like it was two uh, years ago. Almost exactly a month ago. Uh, there you go. Uh, I wanted to talk about your side of the podcast a thon and generally the uh, month of fundraising for St. Jude. So, in case sure. uh, you know the listeners don't remember, um, I think this started out mostly as a Hackett family thing, and then it became a Relay family thing, and then it became like a broader, this this corner of the internet thing where we've all been trying to 
raise money for St. Jude uh, Children's Research Hospital where your eldest son, as discussed, and what was that, Analog 5? I always forget when you're here. I think it was that, yeah, episode 5. Um, where your son was treated for a long time and is still treated from time to time. And, you know, you guys set out, and I remember we discussed this at a, at a kind of party slash meeting that we had um, several months ago. I remember you discussing this, you and Mike discussing this with everyone, and saying, actually, no, it was in August, wasn't it, that you told us about this? Yeah, so we had, the night before the Relay Family Feud, we had a sort of a birthday party for the company at Jason's house, and everyone who was in California came, and that's when Mike and I announced to y'all that we had been working on this behind the scenes and that we were going to do this thing. And it was a month from that day, from the Family Feud until the podcast-a-thon, and now we're a month after the podcast-a-thon. Oh, look at that. See, we, we, we planned it this way. It was all deliberate, I swear. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I remember you guys saying, you know, what was the official goal? The official goal was 75000 or was it fifty? It was 75,000 based on, we raised 69 the year before, just talking about it casually. You know, I mean, and, uh, more than us, so like ATP was involved. Uh, it was on Daring Fireball, other places. But it was just, hey, we're just going to do this. And it didn't really have the organized push behind it, which I think you want to get to. Right. And so I remember you guys talking about it and you saying in front of everyone, oh, we're going to go for 75. We think we can do it. And I think I spoke to both you and Mike separately, but privately, and both of you guys were like, well, I feel like we could probably get 100. Like, it doesn't yeah. that seem like a nice round number? We could probably do 100. I think it'll be hard, but I think we can do it. And what was the final number? Uh, let me see. It The page is actually still up for a few more days. It may not even be up by the time this comes out, but it is at $314,000. Which is mind-blowing. It really, mm -hmm. really is. That is far beyond what I ever expected. Because when you guys said, oh, I think we can do 100, I think it'll be hard, but it'll be all right. I thought to myself, no, it'll be, you'll, you'll be able to get 100. But I didn't think it was going to go too much past 100. Because I don't know if you've noticed, Stephen, but $100,000 is kind of a lot of money. And it is so, a lot of money. When you guys said, oh, 75, maybe 100, I was like, okay, yeah, I think that makes sense. But you know, 100, that, that, that's a lot of money. I don't think we're going to get past that. And Holy smokes, did you guys ever and did we ever blow by that number? So I wanted to ask you a few questions or or at least, you know, prompt you, hey, hey with a few questions and sure. uh, and we'll see, you know, if we meander off from there. But, you know, I talked to Mike a lot about it and kind of his perception of how this all went down. But what was it what was it like for you? I got to imagine what with you being local to St. Jude. It, a lot of this work, well, and your special uh, super senior vice president of live events, this probably mm -hmm. fell much heavier on your shoulders than Mike's. So did you breathe in the month of September ever? <laughs> yeah. So I'll point people to Mac Power Users episode 502. I'll have it in the show notes where David and I spoke about the tech aspect behind the show. So if you're interested in like how you do a six hour video <laughs> live stream, that's all in that. And it's chapter marked in that episode so you can find it. So for for us, this actually started in the in the early summer, late spring, and I have been asked to go to so so Saint it's Saint Jude's the hospital. All SAC is the fundraising organization for the hospital. Two organ two sibling organizations. So I had a meeting at All SAC. They just called me in. They were doing like uh, some design work, and they wanted some some uh, people to kind of give feedback on it, just like. Hey, come down. We'll have some lunch. Look at this stuff we're working on. Let us know what you think. Very casual. So I went in there for that. And one of the guys on the team, a friend of mine, Ricky, he and I went to school together. I pulled him aside after I said, hey, look, I have had this idea for a while. You know, we've, and he, he's aware that we've raised money for St. Jude. I said, I want to do 
uh, a telethon. You know, the old time, like Jerry Lee Lewis on TV for eight hours. <laughs> I want to do that, but with our content, I want to do it to raise money for St. Jude. And like, we're thinking about this. Maybe we could do something together. Just casual conversation in the hallway. And he took it back to the team he was on and they really liked the idea. And so basically throughout the summer, the whole summer, not just September, Allsack and I, and then eventually Mike, you know, were having meetings, having phone calls, sending emails, putting the pieces together, putting the campaign together, working on the ad copy together. So the ad copy that, that our host read, that was written by me and Allsack together, because they have all these great talking points that they know are effective for fundraising, but they wanted, we, we wanted to sound like something that comes from Relay, it comes from, from me and Mike. So you kind of filtered it through the Relay thing. <laughs> and uh, we had Carrie look at it as well, who who does a lot of our ad, ad work for us. And so all of that was a real collaboration between Relay and Allsack, which I really appreciated because they are experts at fundraising. And so many times in these conversations, they would ask what I think about something I'm like, well, y'all are the export experts. What in your experience has proved more effective within these options? And let's do that. You know, I told them multiple times, very little is precious to me I'm here to do a job and my job is to raise money for the hospital, right? So it's not about Mike and I doing this grand thing, even though that was really cool and we really enjoyed it. And it was a big deal. It's that we're doing this for this reason. And so we want to align ourselves to those goals. We want to pull in the same direction. And, you know, Allsack's a big organization. I had a lot of meetings with a lot of people and it all went really well. It was time consuming. I mean, we have this we had two documents at the end of it. One was a Google sheet that was the schedule for the podcast-a-thon and a Google doc of all the ad copy and everything we'd worked on. And it was a lot of moving parts, but it, it, it all went really well. And I really attribute that much more to the all-sack side of things than mine. Like, I know <laughs> what I'm doing when it comes to putting a podcast on the theater that's not challenging for us at this point because we do a lot of it. But this was such a big project and had so many moving parts and so many things to consider, I really was able to rely on their expertise that they've built over the years because they're an incredible organization that raises buckets of money. And I was like, well, y'all know what works. Let's apply what we do and and form it into your mold and and come out the other end with something that's really a partnership. And they were willing to to enter into that, into this like that with us, which was really humbling because like we're just... I mean, Relay's big, don't get me wrong, but Relay's not big, right? Like they they deal with like, I mean, they have companies that have their names on buildings on campus, right? Like what we were doing was was not a huge project for them, but they treated it like it was. And they treated us and our host with uh, respect and thankfulness, which was really humbling. It's like, I'm just here to like talk about the iPhone and maybe raise some money. Like, um, so it was kind of neat to be on that side of it. But it really, I mean, clearly it went well and way better than we expected, which is, again, extremely humbling. Uh, the generosity of the Relay community, and, and I would really say the Apple community at large, because this is extended beyond Relay at this point, is really phenomenal to see. Yeah, it was, it, it has been a really fun and rewarding thing to be a part of because, you know, as you mentioned, like ATP, for example, you know, we're, we're Relay adjacent at worst and, and almost a member of Relay at best. And so um, I think we, all three of us have embraced, you know, trying to raise money for, for St. Yeah. Jude each September. And it's always been fun. And that gives me, I'll, I'll speak for myself, it gives me a little bit of 
ownership may be too strong a word, but I can't think of a better one, you know, but ownership over the experience and, oh, look at what we yeah. have done, you know, what, look at what we have yeah, raised. That's what we want. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, ultimately, it's been basically just talking about it on the show. So I, I really didn't own that much in the grand scheme of things. But that being said, it, it, it has been fun for me to be able to take part in this and kind of take ownership mm-hmm. of it. And this year it just brought, you know, it amped everything up by a lot, which has been wonderful. And I don't remember when it was that, that I realized that things were getting real, but I feel like it was before any of the shows had really done any real pushing for it. And you guys had already, or we had already blown either near or past the $75,000 mark. And there had been no real push at this point. Like there had been a little bit of talking about it on Twitter or something like that, but I don't think any of the shows had actually done like, it's not an ad read, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't think any of Mm -hmm. us had really called attention to it yet. And we were already almost at uh, $70,000. And that's, I think the first time I looked around and thought, oh, this this has got some legs. This is this is going to go somewhere. So, what, what? When was that moment for you, or was it when it was all over? No, it, it was the the exact same thing. Of very early on, I don't have the data in front of me, but very early on, we had hit the goal, and and then we blasted right to a hundred. And I remember talking to my dad about it, and you know, kind of telling him what we were planning, and he's like, "Look, seventy five. Like, I understand why you set the goal there." He's like, I think y'all are going to raise uh, 200000 And oh, I looked wow. at him and I said, you're insane. Like, that's not <laughs> possible. And then, you know, we very quickly hit 100. We raised sixty grand just during the podcast-a-thon alone in those six hours. And then we, at the end of the one-month mark, we were at a quarter million at two hundred and fifty. And now, you know, the weeks afterwards, it's inched up to three fourteen. And it's been, it's just been wild. I mean, I had that donation page basically open on all my devices. And every time I looked at it, the number was bigger. And at some point, very quickly, I realized that this was far bigger than it had ever been. And the question for me now, we can get into this in a minute of like what we do next year. Like, I don't know what changed this year because we changed so much about how we did it. So that's going to be... Now us working through that with Allsack and with their expertise, they have you know data and all this stuff, and they have experience, and they can help us form feelings and thoughts on how to move forward. But very quickly, I realized that this was uh, had really resonated this year in a way that was bigger. And it was just it was wild. I mean, I would I would open that page and I would just laugh. You know, it's like that's the only response is like just joy that people are so on board. Yeah. I want to talk briefly about the actual podcast-a-thon itself. Sure. Uh, I was doing family stuff that I had to do that day, so I missed the first like half of it, which was really too bad. Well, and then I ended up breaking my phone in the, in the driveway trying to listen to it. That was that day, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I think you sent us a picture like during the podcast-a-thon, like, but I did. I think so. Uh, yeah, so what had happened was uh, I had gotten home uh, from an event that the, 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 the way our family schedule worked, it was only we were only able to go the day of the podcast-a-thon. And I'd gotten home and I was trying to quickly uh, wash Aaron's car because I'd done like a deep clean on it a few days prior and there was all sorts of dust and grime on it because we had to park in like a field. And so I was trying to clean it real quick and I couldn't get my AirPods to connect to my brand new phone for some reason, even though I'd done so previously just fine. Couldn't get them to connect to my iPad. Like something was wrong. I was running out of daylight and I really didn't want to miss any more of the podcast-a-thon. I wanted to at least be able to hear it. So I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll just slip my brand new uh, iPhone 11 Pro in my back pocket 
and I will crank up the speaker and I will be able to listen to it as I quickly, quickly, quickly wash Aaron's car. And Aaron has a, uh, a SUV. And so I jumped up to reach some of the roof or something like that, rather than doing this slow and methodical way. I usually do it by getting out a step ladder and so on and so forth. Right. And so I jumped up and all of a sudden I heard crash. Huh? <laughs> oh, no. Because you're, t- you're a tall guy, but that Volvo, I mean... That roof line's pretty far up there. Yeah, it's it's not a short car. And so I immediately realized what it was and immediately said uh, thanks to past Casey for not trusting future or at that point present Casey and getting Apple Care for the first time or second time ever and the first time in a couple of phones. I actually did spring for Apple Care on it. And when I dug into the cost to replace the back glass, which is what somewhat shattered, that would have been six hundred dollars oh. were it not for Apple Care. <laughs> oh, so no. I am very thankful that I bought Apple Care Plus or whatever it's called for this phone because it is quote unquote only one hundred dollars instead of the six hundred it would have been. Uh, in retrospect, maybe I should have just gotten a case like I did every other phone, but the the, the midnight green is so nice. I didn't want to put a case mm-hmm. on it. So anyway, but um, but yeah, so I smashed my phone and then I was able to sit down after kids were in bed and actually properly watch it and. It was quite amusing because you didn't tell me, and I don't think you told most of Relay kind of the specifics about what was going on. So imagine coming in halfway through the event, maybe even two thirds of the way through the event, and you have less facial hair than I had ever seen you have before outside of being Mm -hmm. completely clean shaven. Mike has accoutrement attached to his face for reasons that were in, not really explained at first. And, yeah. and one of you, I think, was standing in a bucket of like, uh, not bouncy balls, but like uh, play balls, you know, where you can, yeah. you know. I don't, I've got one here. Yeah, there you go. And I don't know what the term is for those, but you know what I'm saying? Like when you have the big. Vet. Uh, like a uh, ball pit balls. Like, I don't know. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. I learned you can buy them in bulk on Amazon. That's a thing that I know now. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out uh, that it was, uh, it was quite odd trying to put all that together and figure Mm -hmm. out uh, what was going on. But I loved the podcast-a-thon. And granted, I think it's a little different for me because you guys are all very good friends of mine. And and so obviously it's like watching your friend not only do something, but do something well. Uh, And so that was particularly rewarding. But watching these donations come in and watching you guys act like such professionals. I don't mean that in a dismissive way. I'm just saying like, this is something that's not really what you had done before. It is vaguely similar to things you've done, but it is its own thing. And you guys did such a great job of it. And I, and I think both of you talked about how you never knew which camera to look at or something like that. Oh gosh. Yeah. It was infuriating. (laughs) To me, like I only noticed it a couple of times and I guess that's a good thing, right? That you thought it was terrible. And and at me as a viewer thought it wasn't bad. That may have been, uh, the, the, the amazing people in the control room compensating for us. (laughs) Oh, switch to that one. Yeah. Yeah. the, The weirdest thing for me was that there was no audience. I mean, there was an audience. Sure. 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 Thousands of people were streaming it, but there was no audience in the room, right? It was like a dozen all-sack employees and our spouses. And uh, I had some friends drop by and, and that sort of thing. But it wasn't a theater of people. And I'm a high-functioning introvert, but I am just like to be... I, you know what I'm not saying? I'm not trying to sound prideful, but like I'm pretty good on a stage. Like, I can be funny and engaging, and I really enjoy that experience. I enjoy that environment. But when you do it with a bunch of people who get the joke it's better than you try to make the joke and like everyone's like, why is he talking about how fast Safari is? Like who cares? Like what, what is he saying? And right where at WWDC people would resonate with that. So that was weird to me, like very off-putting, but uh, we finally got used to it. Cause when you do something for six hours, you have time to get used to things. And um, that's one thing we, we actually talked about 
uh, actually a feedback from my dad. He actually watched the whole thing, which I didn't know until the next day. He was like, you know, you guys should reintroduce yourselves, reintroduce what you're doing every once in a while as people come and go. And I was like, that's mm, a good point. And that, that is, a good point. is something that we'll work into it in the future of like, hey, if you're just joining us, this is what we're doing. Just a, you know, 15 second. This is like, why are we standing in a ball pit? You know, that sort of, mm-hmm. or whatever it is next year, it won't be a ball pit. We actually had an idea that we scrapped at the last minute that the ball pit replaced. And I'm hoping we can use revision A of that idea next year. Ooh, I don't want to spoil it. Ooh, but it, really it, it ended up being a logistical problem, but we have way more time this year. So hopefully we can work it out. The ball pit was a last minute change and it worked out great. And uh, I don't know how many all-sack employees spent the night at the office putting names on plastic balls. But uh, <laughs> when I left at like seven the night before, they were still there. So, Oh my goodness. That's, that's intense. So the event, it seems like, I mean, I'm sure it was exhausting. I'm sure it was one of the most stressful days of your life. But that being said, it certainly looked as though the two of you were having fun. And, and we I think it went well. Do you feel like a month on that, not that it was a success. I mean, I think that's clear. But do you feel like it was worth it, enjoyable, you know, define success yeah. however you please? I don't really find live events that stressful at this point. Now, the Family Feud was because there were... 26 people on stage, right? And there were so many things that had to work for the Family Feud to be good. But even after we were a few minutes into it or a few rounds into it, and I realized that it's all coming together, then, you know, the the stress kind of leaves. So I didn't have stress in the sense of we're live and a bunch of people are watching. In some ways, it was easier because they weren't watching us in person, right? Like, we're just talking to a couple of camera operators who are really nice guys. It's like, it's it's fine. <laughs> but I was more nervous about the whole campaign of just, I want to do a good job at not only raising money, but promoting and carrying the St. Jude brand. The St. Jude brand is very important to the organization, as you may imagine. And we had to go through a lot of stuff like the, that the artwork was approved and the way that we spoke about certain things, you know, there was certain wording and some of the ad reads that had to be just right. And I just wanted to do a good job and to honor the trust that St. Jude and Alsac put in us to be ambassadors for them. And I think we did a good job of that, but that's what I was nervous about. Not necessarily, okay, like what happens if Syracuse's Skype drops out? I was like, if I was calling back, right? <laughs> Or if Max Simmons crashes the Skype call without you knowing, you know, whatever happens. <laughs> but I wanted to do a good job at being an ambassador. And like I said, and I, I think we did. I think they're happy with our performance there. Because ultimately, like I said a second ago, that is what was important to us. Not that we get to do something fun or create a unique piece of content for our listeners that was all secondary or even further down the list. It really was, I want to leverage what celebrity we have, however you define that, into something good, uh, raising money for these kids. And by that metric, I feel pretty good about the job that we did. And the rest of it is just details to iron out. Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was incredible. Um, I don't remember when it was during the month or perhaps during the podcast-a-thon, but I definitely cried a couple times looking at this amount of money that that you and, to some degree, we have raised. Mm-hmm. It was and remains awesome in the, like, traditional sense of the word, you know, like, or awe-inspiring. It, it was... Mm-hmm. I, I cannot believe the community at large was able to do this because as much as I'm um, patting you on the back and Mike on the back and to small, a small degree, you know, people, the hosts like me on the back... 
ultimately it really was the community at large that that was able to and and was willing to come together for i think one of the greatest and most worthwhile causes that i can think of and and i'm so proud of all of us particularly the community at large for for not getting sick of it like i i don't recall ever having heard anyone be like dude can you stop with the saint jude stuff and you know right. nerds love to complain about everything under the sun sure. and i don't think i maybe you did hear a little of that but i didn't hear mm-hmm. any of that and I, I didn't hear a single thing and one thing i was a little worried about was we used uh, videos produced by saint jude as bumpers during the podcastathon for mm-hmm. mike and i to change sets or to bring somebody on the set or whatever it would be that covered up the seams mm-hmm. in the the production and I was a little worried that people would get a little tired of that because, hey, the videos are very heavy-handed, right? Like they are like, they're just, it's a serious subject, and those videos are serious. They're made by the team that we worked with, by the way. Like those people are all in Memphis that do incredible work. But what I heard uh, during a little bit, but mostly after, was how engaging those videos were, and when those videos were on, how much more lively. The chat room got and people watching, you know, they were engaged. And I think that really shows that people got why we were doing it and that they were on board with it. Not just see Mike and Steven make fools of themselves for six <laughs> hours, but that they understood why we were doing it and that they appreciated that. So I don't think we had anybody, I didn't hear from anybody who had that point of view. And even if I did, I wouldn't worry about it because the campaign clearly was a success. Yeah, no, I, I could not say enough good things about everyone involved. And I think I think it is important to congratulate Allsack and their team, as you have done, for the incredible work they did yes. and for being such great stewards of all this. And I didn't personally communicate with any of them, but it, it was clear to me immediately how much they cared and how much mm-hmm. this is more than just a job for them, which is, I think, yeah. extremely important. Uh, I have one kind of longer question, one very brief question for you. Okay. Um, the longer question, how do you feel about next year now? Like, uh, I got to imagine <laughs> this has got to be a little bit scary. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of questions we need to have answered. Uh, I want to try to understand why we were so so successful this year over previous years. If we can distill that down to a couple of things that we could grow. The the big question, of course, is what do we set the goal at? And mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, we're going to talk with Allsack and see. Uh, the another question is, how do we up the ante with the production? You know, do we do six hours again? Do we go a little longer? One thing I want to do is have, and it was it was planned, but it just got dropped as we moved closer. Just not everything was possible to get done. But having um, some more of Mike and I at St. Jude at the hospital. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of difficult mm-hmm. to pull off. There's a lot of rules around that as you may as you would understand understand right there's patience and privacy and stuff but kind of putting mike and i in the context of the hospital a little bit more i would like to do whatever that looks like i don't know what that looks like yet uh we're we're thinking on that so there are things to consider but uh for now at least we're kind of taking a breather from it we're going to talk about this uh later in the episode we've had a very very busy summer and a very busy fall and i just need some uh some breathing room. And so <laughs> we're going to pick this, we're going to pick this back up uh, probably after the new year, honestly. I mean, the end of the year is very busy for all sack and uh, I miss hanging out with that team. Like, like all those people are great. And I, you know, like uh, I want to hang out with them, but I know they have other things to do. And so we're, we'll pick this back up uh, and start planning for, for next year. Yeah. I think that makes plenty of sense. And, and again, I think it is clear to me what a 
great team up this was for both sides. And, and I hope that whatever shape it continues in one way or another, I really hope it does indeed continue. Uh, my very brief question for you is the mustache still there or did it, did it eventually go away? Uh, it went away like a week and a half ago. Okay. So I was clean shaven and now the beard slowly coming back in. I think that makes sense. <laughs> All right. Other than St. Jude, would you mind telling me about something that's awesome? I would love to. This episode of Analog is brought to you by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is a reliable way to ensure that your network data is secure without slowing down your internet speed. Like we've all done it. We've all connected to Wi-Fi we shouldn't trust at hotels or at a store or a car dealership. Like my dealership has Wi-Fi and you better believe that I'm using ExpressVPN while I'm there waiting for something to happen to my truck. Because... (laughs) unsecure Wi-Fi, it's it's risky, right? It, bad people can bypass security. They can they can see your see what you're doing. There's flaws like crack, which I don't understand, but it's called it's for key reinstallation attack. That seems bad. I don't want that. <laughs> and so ExpressVPN is on my laptop. It's on my iPad. It's on my iPhone. And it's all integrated. So I can just flip the VPN switch on my phone and I am safe and secure. ExpressVPN is the fastest and most reliable, and they're recommended as the number one VPN provider by both TechRadar and CNET. That's high praise. They take privacy and security to the next level. They've invented a technology called Trusted Server to ensure that VPN servers run from RAM. This is super cool. So no data logs are written to a server's hard drive, even by accident. I love the engineering that goes into stuff like this, and ExpressVPN is what I rely on when I am out of the house. If you want the best in online security and privacy protection, head on over to expressvpn.com slash analog for three extra months free with a one-year package. Protect your internet traffic today. Go with the VPN that I trust to keep my data safe, expressvpn.com slash analog to go get started. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and Relay FM. So you had a busy, uh, I don't know, six months or so? <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. when I initially asked you, yeah, hey, would you mind uh, coming on Analog this week? I think perhaps before you even said yes, you said, I have something I would like to talk about. Yeah. So um, are you a little tired, Stephen? I am. Tell me I'm about better that. better than I was. So I wanted to talk about, about burnout, but also kind of what leads up to burnout, because I think burnout is a, a gradient of feelings. I don't think it's like a mm-hmm. line in the sand mm-hmm. that you cross and then you're in trouble. And I want to preface all of this, because I feel like people can listen to this, and I, I know I would be tempted as a listener, because I think it's understandable to like, getting ready to hear about this topic from me and Casey, like, we have dream jobs. Right. Like (laughs) I own my own company. You own your own company. You have shows, you have an app. We get to spend time with our families. Like we have chosen this for ourselves. Right. But the reality is all jobs, no matter what it is, they all have this potential to, to, to burn you out, to, to make you worn down. And so that's what I want to talk about, but I just wanted to clarify that a little bit because a, I think anyone who's like a content creator, there's a lot that goes into it that people don't see. Uh, but also that like, I understand that me saying this from my position seems weird. And I just want to acknowledge that. So take that uh, however you will. But in the summer was really 2019 on the whole has been 
way busier than any year I've had, at least independent. This is my coming into my fourth year independent, five years of the company. And 2019 has brought perhaps the most change out of any of those years. So I joined Mac Power Users at the beginning of the year. I was still doing download, which uh, we wound down mid-year, uh, thankfully, because it was just like, it was just killing killing Jason and I to do that show every week. Uh, and I, it's taken a lot of fun. There's been a lot of change internally at Relay and the, the way we do some things behind the scenes. And, and then we have all this travel. And every year, at the end of the year, I think this next year, I'm not going to travel as much as I did the previous year. That's never been true. <laughs> and we did, you know, last year, about a year ago, actually, we were doing our tour. We were in Chicago, then New York, and then Toronto. That was really fun. We had talked about doing that this year. We decided not to do it, thankfully. But I had two live shows in Chicago. We did WWDC, which is just a week of chaos. And then we had the fifth anniversary party and family feud. And then we had the podcast-a-thon. And... It was just a lot of stuff. And there was a speaking engagement. I was supposed to be in a Florida accident and end up not going to because of a family emergency. It was just a lot of travel, a lot of really big events on the calendar this year. I mean, Dub Dub and then the fifth anniversary and the podcast-a-thon, any one of those is months of work. And then you squeeze them all together into basically a three-month period, four-month period. It was just a lot of stuff to do and a lot of stuff to, to think about and deal with. And so... I just want to set the stage for that conversation because we got done with the podcast-a-thon and Mike and Adina went home and you know, it's been a month and I feel like I'm just now coming up for air in the sense of not only what I'm catching up on and have to do, but just getting out of the mode of all of these um, these live events, all of this travel. You know, between June and September, I was gone, I think five or six times. Like it was just, it was wild and too much, honestly. I I overdid. I overcommitted. They're all good things, right? Like WBC is a good thing. Your company only turns five once. You want to do a big show for that. The podcastathon, I would say yes to any time of year. But even with all good things, you can overdo it. And I think I definitely did overdid that. And I think I think Mike feels the same way a little bit, maybe differently than me in some ways. But it was. Uh, it was a real, a real busy season in the rearview mirror. It's in hindsight, and I can see that I got pretty toasty there at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I can understand it. And I mean, watching you and Mike just bounce between all these different events and obligations, it was tiring just to watch, much, much less to actually participate in. And, and I mean, for me, you know, I was at WWDC and I was at the fifth anniversary thing in, in June and then in August. And that felt like kind of a lot. I mean, I wouldn't say I was burnt out by it, but it felt like kind of a lot, especially since, you know, generally speaking, in my last couple of jobs, including, you know, being independent, I don't travel that often. I've always traveled for WWDC since 2011, but that's usually it. And so mm -hmm. it was quite unusual to have that much activity for me in, in so little time. And again, I was mostly just kind of cruising for most of those events. You know, it, there wasn't really much on my shoulders. And for you, obviously, you know, there's a tremendous amount of pressure for you at WWDC. In fact, a lot, a large part of the reason that I could cruise at WWDC was because of the work that you and Marco did, particularly you, in figuring out where to do uh, the ATP show because we basically mm -hmm. rode on the coattails of what Connected did and you did all the hard work and we just took all the credit. And so, 
I got a Mac Pro out of it, so yeah. So I guess there's something there's something good there, right? But uh, but no, I mean I I say it with a smile and with a laugh, but I really do mean it. I mean, you did all the hard work for that, and we were able to just kind of ride on that on your coattails and say, hey, you know, all that stuff that uh, Relay and Connected did, yeah, 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 we'll do that too, please. And that made it much more pleasant for me. And I just told you that it was a fair bit of travel for me, and it was a fair bit of work for me, not to the point of burnout, but it was kind of a lot. And I barely did anything compared to you, so I. I don't know how your hair wasn't falling out of its own volition mm-hmm. at the end of these last few months. It is it is stupefying to me how much you and Mike did over such a small, small window of time. There's a lot of stuff. And I think that when you're in that sort of season, no matter what your job is, it's important to sort of, when you can, I mean, like there, there are parts of this job, just like any other job, just like life, right? Where you just have to go, right? Like you have to keep your foot on the gas, you kind of have to give up other things, right? Leading up to the family feud was this way, right? Like this show has to go on. It has to be done correctly. And so other things will just get pushed aside. But it's super important when you're in that mode, even if it's just a few minutes, you know, whatever your system is, mine is I sort of sit down and look through my to-do list and, you know, write a little bit. But to take stock of where you are in the moment and, to review the decisions you've made leading up to that moment. I'm not sure there's anything big I would have changed about this summer, right? Like all were good things, all were important things for the company. I may have, you know, I I had a a last minute trip to Texas with Jason Snell. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. It was a good trip for a good reason, but maybe we could have done that another time. But all in all, uh, I don't regret any of the decision-making that we did, but I did not do this reflection that I'm talking about. I did not pull off long enough to think, okay, why am I so, why am I so worn out? Why do I feel like I've, I'm run so thin and remind myself of these are the decisions we're making for this reason? Because at the, at the end of it, right, the end of September and it's like, it's all done. It's like, I feel bad. I don't really know why. And if I had spent the time this summer sort of stewing on it a little bit more, I think, I I still think I would have been totally just burned through, but I think I would have understood why a little bit better, which would have made it easier to deal with. I, mean, I think that's fair. Do you have any particular signs that you're getting past the point of no return? You know, you're, you're blowing past the water tower, so to speak, and, and you're realizing, uh Oh, I'm, I'm, I've got too much or I'm doing too much. And, and if, if you do have those signs, are they before the point of no return or are they <laughs> after? Like I said, I think it's a gradient, at least for me. So I can see these things building ahead of steam. I think the two things I look at, one is just the the hours that I'm working. So I, I track my time and I can see that if that graph is going up in toggle that I need to understand why it is, right? So the beginning of the year, if we wind back the clock, I had started Mac Power Users, which is, it's a very popular show. It is a very prep heavy show. So like for Connected, for every, you know, every episode's about 75 to 90 minutes you know, I don't have 90 minutes. I don't have more than 90 minutes of prep time in it, usually less because there's three of us. And I have, you know, about that much time in the edit, but it it all sort of balances out, right? Where an episode of Mac Power Users, it was like a research-heavy episode, like we when we talked about Catalina or we talk about something like Keyboard Maestro, I may have eight or 10 hours of prep into that episode. And then we record it for an hour and a half. And then I have two hours of editing, right? So- it's a lot more work than my other shows. And 
I saw that in my time tracking. It's like, oh, this is a thing. I have to deal with this. So that informed my decisions about ending download, about stepping back from some other things, about saying no to other projects. I just had a really nice offer from somebody to join a show that I would love to do. I love the person who's doing it. I love the idea. I just had to tell them no. It's like, I cannot, like the data tells me I cannot do this. And so I look, I always look at that. It's how much time am I working? But the the bigger factor for me is a, a level of crankiness, if you will. That's not quite, mm-hmm. quite the right word, but I find myself being short with others, short with myself. I find myself bringing work home more than I want to, being irritated just at, every, at everything. That sort of angst level, if that is uh, out of whack, that's always a flag for me of like, hey, you got some things you need to look at. Yeah, I could not echo that more. Uh, for me, when I'm going and pushing just too much, just a general irritability is one of the first signs that I'm just, something is awry and something is out of balance. And for me, another thing that's often a good sign is, you know, I really enjoy just sitting in front of a computer and doing things. Often that's work, but not always. The computer has been my happy place for 20, 30 years now. And if I go into my in-home office and I sit down at my iMac and I just go, ugh, then I know not necessarily that something is wrong, but it's time for a little bit of reflection. Like you were saying that, oh, that's not normal. Usually I like Mm -hmm. sitting down and writing code or I like sitting down and working through a problem or whatever the case may be. And if I'm sitting down and going, ugh, then eh, something's probably not right here. And Mm -hmm. it's been interesting for me as well. The last really heavy, busy time I had was right before WWDC. So right uh, right in the May timeframe, if you recall, uh, then there were some rumors that the stuff that my then forthcoming app vignette would do would maybe Sherlocked by Apple, which is to say that Apple may be doing something similar where it would make vignette kind of useless. And so I really needed to push to get vignette out the door before WWDC when it was, you know, at, the, at which point it may have been too late. And I worked nonstop for pretty much the entire month of May and probably the bottom half of April. And I definitely was tired at the end of that. I definitely needed a bit of a break at the end of that. But what was interesting to me about it was it was still within enough reason. It was still light enough that by the end of it, I felt pretty good. And I had this tangible thing to show for it. And I'm not trying to imply that you didn't feel good at the end of all the stuff you did. Also, I think it's different for you because you had much more, you had many more spinning plates that were much higher in the air. So Mm -hmm. it's not really a fair comparison, but but for me, it was interesting that I have done equal amounts of work on other things in the past, where at the end of it, I've just said, oh my God, thank goodness that is over with. I never want to look at a computer again. Whereas by the end of Vignette, and perhaps because it was for me, you know, by the end of getting Vignette out the door, it was like, oh, that was, that was a lot. I need a little bit of a recharge, but I'm excited for the next thing on Vignette. Sure. And I'm excited to do what comes next. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to imply that you don't feel the same or whatever the case may be, but it was interesting to me that as compared to a more traditional jobby job, and this is like you were saying in your preamble, which I could not agree with more, you know, we are still very lucky that we get to generally speaking, choose what it is that is sucking all of our time up. And it was a very rewarding thing for me that at the end of that heavy push in April and May, that I still felt okay about life in a way that I hadn't after similar pushes for jobby jobs in the past. Yeah. I mean, it's always different when it's your own project and when you, 
there's a complicating factor when you put it on yourself, right? So <laughs> when you got a jobby job, you blame the boss, right? When the yep. boss to make me work late. They yep. put this unrealistic deadline on me. That's different. And there, there's always, a, it's not a perfect uh, discussion because WBC is sort of a deadline put on us, right? It was for you, for your app, right? You, you needed, yep. everyone who told you that was right. You needed to get that out before the conference. And I'm glad that you did. Same. And mm-hmm. I think that, that is awesome that you got it done. I don't, I don't, development is like blows, the, the little bit I know about development blows my mind. I, I don't know how anybody does it, but <laughs> it's, so it, it is a deadline given to you externally, but you have control whether you, whether you want it to be a deadline or not, right? We don't have sure. to do a live, we don't have to do live shows at WBDC. We don't like our businesses don't depend on it, right? Like ATP is not going to go under if you don't do a live show. Sure. Connect Relay is not going to go under if we don't do it. We choose to do it, but it's also out of our hands a little bit because Apple doesn't announce the date until the last minute. So there's a blend there, right? But say that it's, you know, say that that deadline's gone. Say that you're just hypothetically, you're not, I don't think you're doing this, but say that you're working on an app right now and you said, I want to get this out by Thanksgiving. You know, American Thanksgiving is what, like five or six weeks? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you just invented that out of your head, right? Like this, I want to ship it by Thanksgiving. And... You, then you're working through Thanksgiving dinner to finish it. Your family's not going to be happy with you, <laughs> no, right? Not because you've made that decision and you are punishing yourself and others because it was a bad decision or or that maybe it wasn't bad, but because you're not going to meet it, you're not willing to, to move the date, right? Those are different things. Totally. And the reality is, most people fall somewhere in the middle, right? Most of the time, the boss does want it done, but you want to get it done the day before because you want to look good to the boss, right? Like, who hasn't done that? Or you want to get it out by WWDC. You still would have sold copies of that after the conference, right? But I think you probably sold more before because you were out before. Yep. You also definitely got better press coverage because it was before WWDC and the, the news cycle wasn't swamped by <laughs> Mac Pro news as it should totally. be. So. <laughs> It's that's all very complicated, right? And I think it's worth when you when you feel burned out, when you feel like you're doing too much, as hard as it is to take the time, to take the time and think about all of those things. Think about the metrics you use to measure yourself by, the deadlines that you're under, what is in your control, what's not what's out of your control. And, and very honestly, and it sounds stupid, but I really do this. There are times when I feel overwhelmed that I sit down and I make a list of what is in my control and what's not. And the reality is there are things that I cannot change about this world, right? I can't change the day the iPhone comes out. I can't change when WWC is going to be. I can't change the app connect, whatever is going to close for Christmas and I got to get the, the update in or whatever it mm-hmm. is. But there's a lot of stuff, even in a jobby job that is in your control. And understanding where those things are and what the field is in front of you, you can make better decisions. And I really believe, and, and to a degree, it's probably a, it's probably a fault in my personality, but I really believe that if we approach things thinking first and not feeling first, then you can make better decisions. And maybe it's just that I don't have the emotional intelligence that other people may or may not have, but I get the sense that when I do that in my life, when I, I look at the actual information and try to understand why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling, what I can do about it, that always goes better than just blowing off steam by being cranky with my wife and short with my kids, because that's not good for anybody. Yep, yep. 
there's a, I'm not a terribly religious man, but there's a really good um, prayer, I guess. It's on, I tried to figure it out so I could quote it directly. It's apparently called the serenity prayer. Uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And what a great, great summary of kind of what you're saying. And I couldn't agree with it more. You know, I, I don't think I do a good job of of doing what you describe and sitting back and saying, okay, what if this is really under my control? What if this is ultimately my decision? And I think that is a tool that I'm going to have to introduce into my tool belt because I think that makes a lot of sense. And, mm-hmm. and I think that in, in the cases where I do kind of put myself into that position, when I'd back myself into that corner, it would help me to see, you know, the force for the trees to see what is it that I can do to make the situation better. What do you do after it's all over? I mean, obviously you just came out of this, you know, four month, you know, quarter of a year, mm-hmm. third of a year sprint where you didn't take a breath. What do you do to fix the burnout? How do you get around it? How do you, or not get around it as much, but how do you recharge? <laughs> Maybe we should talk about that after the break. That sounds perfect. <sighs> well done. I'm a pro. You are a pro. This episode of Analog is also brought to you by Pingdom, the company that makes website performance monitoring really easy. Everyone loves a fast website. That's basically a law of physics, right? You want Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack, RelayFM. You want those sites to be fast and to be there when you want them. And they are because those companies, amongst many more, trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites are really complicated, and you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. Stuff like user registrations, logins, logouts, checkouts, and much more. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know because they have a really robust system for notifying you when there's a problem. It's super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL. You're not doing weird stuff with your server. You just give them the URL and they take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial. There's no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code analog at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM, code analog, 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of the show and RelayFM. That was a flawless segue, and I am glad that you're picking it up, even though I didn't realize that's what I was putting down, because the next topic <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about is uh, going on vacation. And this is actually both uh, unselfish and selfish because you just returned from a vacation. Mm-hmm. And by the time the listeners hear this, I will be on a vacation. So as someone who has just traveled with uh, one regular sized human and three smaller humans, <laughs> what, mm-hmm. what did you learn? What do you know? Did, tutor me, dad. What what do I need to consider um, when we take our two little ones on what is for all intents and purposes, their first plane journey and first real mm. vacation? Declan has done a couple of plane rides, but he was way too little to remember. So yeah. this is effectively his first and Michaela's never been on a plane. So what do I do, man? Yeah, we did a couple trips this year. So in July, we went to Maine as a family for vacation. Uh, there's a camp up there. I've spoken about it before. A camp for families with kids with catastrophic diseases. And they had a brain tumor week, so we went. It was really awesome. And then we were just kind of out in the woods at a state park, uh, rented a cabin for a few nights this past week. And I'm not great at vacation. Like, I like work. <laughs> I'm good at what I do. I find meaning in it. And uh, 
so I generally like try to work, right? And have to like have people tell me not to do it. Mostly my wife, also Mike and Carrie. So there's that, <laughs> right? It's, it's that I, I have difficulty doing it. So for me, one thing I've really, I try to do is if we travel, I'd rather go someplace where there's no or very limited internet access. So like this past week, I had actually like Wi-Fi and like cable TV and stuff in the cabin, which actually ended up being helpful because like something did come up that I actually needed to address uh, one evening and I was able to have my laptop. I was able to do that. But when we were out hiking or like on the river or whatever we were doing, basically so little cell service, it's non-existent. You can make a phone call, right? But you're not getting on Slack. Totally. And so for me, being forced to disconnect is good. And that's hard, right? For like, I think for fall break or spring break this past year, we went to Nashville, like big city, like LTEs everywhere. Harder to disconnect. <laughs> but I, I like the trips that I can be forced to disconnect. So like when we were in Maine, there's no cell service and there's only Wi-Fi like at this camp in the cafeteria. And so, and even then it's like, it may be satellite or DSL. Like it's way out in the middle of nowhere in, in rural Maine. And so that really forced the issue, right? Like I'm not listening to any podcast tonight because my phone can't download them, right? Like I'm not <laughs> texting anybody because I can't. And so like I had my phone on me because I take pictures and stuff and I go to the cafeteria and then my phone would light up with a bunch of stuff. And I basically ended up putting it in, in uh, do not disturb all week because it didn't matter anyways. So for me, that's a factor in this of like, how easy is it to disconnect? Uh, can I get away uh, from, from the internet easily? So if you can't, then you got to have self-discipline if you're not going to work to like stay off the internet, stay off Twitter, stay off Slack, stay away from your work email. And, you know, you can trick yourself by turning notifications off or doing do not disturb or whatever. So that's something that I always consider is like what state is my phone going to be in when I'm on vacation? Can I, if I need to unplug, can I? Because the the truth is you're going on vacation with your family and it's to reconnect with them and to build memories with them, especially with your kids. And you're not doing that if you're on your iPad checking your work email. So th- then then yeah. why have you gone on vacation? Why, you know, if you're doing a vacation, right, where you're going to travel to work, that's different. But we're not talking, we're talking about vacation, like normal humans take. And <laughs> I think a lot about this, this may not be super healthy, but sometimes I think about like how my kids view the decisions I make. And like, I don't want to be the guy they're talking to somebody about in the future of like, oh yeah, like every time I saw him, he was working. Like, I don't want to be that. And I'm guilty of that a lot. Like there were a couple of times like my kids like, well, like, don't you have work to do? I was like, no, I don't. And I was kind of hurt that they asked. Then I realized like that's, as complicated as I work from home, right? So like that muddies the waters, but that's who they think of me as. And it's like, well, no, 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 I'm here with y'all. You know, work didn't come on this trip. And it's all things to consider. Yeah, I think that that those are all really great tips. So we're going to uh, Disney World for Declan's fifth birthday. Uh, his birthday is at the end of the month, uh, five years. I mean, I know we just talked about Relay being five years, and, and this show actually predates Declan by just a little bit, but still, it's. I, I feel like I blinked and he became five. And from everything I understand, I'm going to blink again and he'll be in college. But anyway, mm-hmm. we're going to Disney World. That complicates things slightly because it is helpful to have a smartphone in the park with you so you can order food from your phone or you can you know get a new fast pass or whatever the case may be. So it is going to test my uh, resolve in, to not just pop on Twitter, especially when we're waiting in line and I should be entertaining the kids rather than entertaining mm-hmm. myself. But 
I am looking very forward to it. Um, Aaron and I honeymooned at Disney World. I surprised her for her 30th birthday, um, which was just yesterday. I surprised hey, her for her 30th birthday. birthday. Aaron. Yeah, I surprised her uh, with the trip to Disney World. Uh, we just got back and now we're going again. Uh, and so we were there for a week for her 30th. Um, and we did go very, very briefly with Declan uh, when we were in town for a friend's wedding, but he was eight months old, doesn't remember, et cetera. So I am unbelievably excited to go. We just told him that he was going like a week ago. Um, and he's been, he, he's a very analytical kid. And so his first reaction when we told him was, can I go when I'm six? And of course, Aaron <laughs> and I look at each other and we're like, uh Oh, and you know, we're, we have to gently say to him in, in a very nice and kid friendly way, this ship has sailed, son. <laughs> You're going whether you like it or not. And yeah, we we were very gentle about it. And we kind of pulled on that thread a little bit. And he said he was worried about being on an airplane. And again, he actually has done a cross-country haul once for my brother's wedding, but he was, I think, a year and yeah. a half. He did the trip down to Florida, but he was eight months. So he has zero recollection of ever being on a plane. And so we started to talk it through with him. And you know, I I had taken video of him, you know, during takeoff on, I think the Florida trip from several years ago. And so I showed him a video of him on a plane as a little baby, not freaking out. And so I think, I think we've mostly talked through that. Obviously, uh, we, and by that, I mostly mean Aaron have some pretty good plans for things to distract both kids with on the plane and so on. It's been funny watching him kind of like ask questions and build up a uh, comfort with something that really is Unlike almost anything he's ever done, we have a couple of local amusement parks. You know, we have a Bush Gardens uh, about an hour east of us, and we have a King's Dominion, which is a, if you live in Ohio, is a sister park to King's Island. Uh, that's about half an hour north of us. Don't be creepy. And uh, and so he's done those a handful of times, but Disney is a whole different ballgame. I mean, you did sure. that with, with Josiah. Um, that was pre-Jude. Is that right? Yeah, we did Disney World as, a, as his Make-A-Wish in 2013. So... Allison, our daughter was three and just, I was about five mm -hmm. and, uh, we haven't been back. We're talking about maybe doing it in the future, but, um, uh, they were, they were pretty young. Yeah. And new uh, Kayla obviously is going to be completely clueless. She turns two in January, but my hope is that this will be something that Declan actually remembers at least flashes of as he gets older. Cause I mean, we'll ask him about things that were monumental to his life even just a year or two ago. And he's kind of like, no, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> and that's, that's been something interesting for me to deal with as a parent. It means you can work less hard at kids' birthday parties. Yeah, exactly. They don't, right. they don't remember. <laughs> they don't exactly care. Right. Although coincidentally, uh, we did a, a very low key birthday that meant a lot to him last year that he does remember. But I do agree with you. And I do take your point that generally yeah. speaking, these like, you know, 16 year old style birthday parties for a three year old, like they, they don't yeah. matter, but no, Anyway, I'm 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 very very excited but very very scared. I'm scared that the kids won't be patient. Now, the rule of thumb with Disney World is you go when kids are in school. And that's what we're doing because Declan is still in preschool. This is his last year before he's in uh, real school. And so we're going during a time that the kids are in school. So hopefully the lines won't be too long and it won't be too crowded. It's also not summer, it's not Christmas, it's not Thanksgiving, it's not New Year's. It is right before Halloween, which is a little bit scary, not in the Halloween sense, but in the lines sense of the word. Um, but I'm hopeful that they'll be patient. I'm hopeful that I'll be patient with them and that I won't get mm -hmm. too, too testy with them. Um, I'm worried about Michaela cause you know, she's very tall for her age, but she's not even two years old. And so 
I'm a little scared that she won't be able to ride a lot of things. I'm scared that we're going to be pushing too hard. You know, at Disney World Vacation, I I am a humongous Disney advocate. I think that they do things better than anyone else on the planet. They they take care of you in ways that are both expected and unexpected. And so for me, even though it is an astronomical amount of money for what you're getting, I do think that generally it is worth it. That being said, I'm worried that when we're there, if we only ride like two rides in one morning because we're doing other things or looking at other things or whatever, am I going to start getting like antsy and testy that we're not getting our money's worth? And I really right. hope that that I have the wherewithal and the self-awareness to, to step back, like you were saying earlier, and kind of take stock of the situation and say, you know what? It doesn't really matter to the kids whether we ride Pirates of the Caribbean. What matters to the kids is that they remember this and have fun. And sitting here now, it's easy to remember that. I'm scared I won't when we're there. Yeah, that, that's always a complicating factor, too. Right? Like we, we paid to be here. We came all this way, whatever the sentence is. And I, that's an easy thing to fall into, and I definitely have. I think you can maybe counteract it with like, hey, we're here together. You know, Even if it doesn't pan out exactly the way we thought it would, we're still, you know, doing something fun as, as a family. So that's hard. And Disney's expensive, right? So that's got to be a, a difficult thing to to wrestle with. I know that I I definitely would uh, have those those feelings as well. Yeah. So wish me luck. Uh, I, hope, mm-hmm. I hope it goes okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure it'll be great. I, I, I know I probably sound like a negative Ned right now, but I am super crazy excited for it. I, I am overjoyed that we're that we're lucky enough to be able to go well you can just ride the people mover every day if your kids are bad so you know i'm not even kidding that i am okay with that and it is well documented my love of the tomorrowland transit authority people mover it is my favorite ride at disney even though it is by almost any reasonable metric one of the dumbest rides that rides at disney but i love it so much it's like a lazy river on land and uh, we will definitely be hitting that up quite often so i am i am really excited and i'm really hopeful that it goes okay are y'all having, uh, if you want to answer, having parents or in-laws or somebody going with y'all? Or is it just the four of you? No, it's just the four of us. Uh, we do have, so the friend that got married in, in Florida several years ago, which was the impetus for us going several years ago, uh, he and his now wife uh, are going to come in over the weekend and meet us and hang out for a bit. Um, so I, I don't know that they're necessarily going to be like volunteering to take on two small children so that sure. we can run amok or anything. But certainly the distraction of having two other adults there will probably be helpful. And um, and so I'm hopeful that, that we'll be able to get some time with them. I, I don't know how much time we're going to get over the weekend, but hopefully we'll get some time with them because we haven't seen them since their wedding. Unfortunately, you know, life is busy and it's even busier when you have small children. And so it's been hard uh, to, to make time for people who live way, way, way out of state. But Hopefully we'll get some time with them. That is the plan. And and I'm hopeful that another thing I've been thinking about is, you know, even though Declan and Michaela go to sleep at about the same time each night, which is pretty early, you know, if if there's ever a time to allow him to stay up past his bedtime, I was thinking that, you know, and Aaron and I have talked about maybe, you know, a couple of nights during the week, one of us will stay at home with Michaela and let her sleep and the other will go back into the park or something like that and get yeah. a little bit of one-on-one time with Declan, especially since that happens so infrequently these days between him having preschool four days a week and Michaela being around, you know, it's very rare that he gets one-on-one time with either of us. And so it, it, it would be great to give him that special treat too. And what else is awesome other than Disney? Our third sponsor. Absolutely. That's Linode. Linode is great. And they, they make it easy to instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. You don't need spinning hard drives in the cloud. You want SSDs 
and Linode lets you get a server like that running in just seconds. You can pick your Linux distro, your resources you need, and even your node location. Linode serves their customers with the help of 10 data centers across the globe, and they're adding more. Mumbai, India, and Toronto, Canada will both have data centers by the end of this year. Like I said, they feature native SSD storage, but they also have 40 gigabit networking and Intel E5 processors, meaning you're able to serve your customers even faster than before. And you don't have to stress about overspending. They've designed their pricing tiers to feature hourly billing with the added bonus of a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups and node balancers. So you're not going to be surprised when you get your Linode bill at the end of the month. We've used Linode at ReliFM for some internal things for a long time now, and it's great. It's easy to manage. If you ever have questions, their customer support is really good, and it's just been rock solid for us. They have pricing plans that are suited for everyone, starting at just one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month, but they also offer high memory plans starting at 16 gigabytes of RAM. So if your website runs in JavaScript, you can have enough RAM for it. (laughs) Sick burn. Linode has a special offer for you, our dear listener. You can go to linode.com slash analog and use the promo code analog2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan. If you opt for the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash analog and promo code analog2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, so let's do a couple of Relayer feels real quick to round out the show. And I went through and chose a couple that I thought might be useful for you specifically, okay. starting with Y2BD. And this is a little bit, there's a little bit of kind of backstory here, but it's distilled well at the end. So, so bear with me. What do you think are the differences between camera and phone photography? As someone who owns a quote unquote, a traditional camera like Casey, I'm pleased with the results I get out of that traditional camera. However, I found, find myself mostly dissatisfied with shots from my iPhone. However, as I can clearly see others taking great shots from their phones, including Mike's stories, I'm certain it's my lack of understanding of the medium. So the question really is, should I approach photography differently when shooting with my iPhone? So how are you handling this these days? Because you also have a couple of very fancy, quote unquote, real cameras, and you have a very new and very fancy iPhone. So what are you carrying with you on, say, this camping trip from last week? So on this trip, I just carried the iPhone 11 Pro. Part, part of that was dictated by we did a lot of hiking and oh, my Sony sure. a7 III is heavy. <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> and I have an RX100, which is a point and shoot, but the iPhone got, got the job done. I too struggle with this. I think a lot of people do. If you have a traditional camera, it's just going to shoot better pictures than an iPhone. But I think, I think the iPhones, like the Pixel 4, it's out this week. They've all gotten so good I think for most people, most of the time, the smartphones have gotten so good that that it's fine. I, I don't want to color that as like a discussion about taste, that if you don't appreciate a, a real camera and a real lens, that you're somehow lesser. Like, I don't, that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. But I think the phones have gotten so good and they can do so many things that it has opened photography up to more people. And that's the way I, I look at it is before, if you want to, I mean, just think about Casey, you and I are about the same age. The number of pictures of us as kids versus the number of pictures you'll take of your kids just this year. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Drastically different, right? And so smartphones have democratized photography, 
And uh, so it means that you can take great shots on an iPhone and it'll be fine. So I think just maybe worry a little bit less and enjoy whatever tool you have with you in the moment. Yeah, you know what I've come to the conclusion is, generally speaking, starting with the 11 Pro. Now, remember, I did not have a 10s before this. I had a, a lowly 10, and it didn't have any of the fancy HDR stuff that I know actually you didn't really care for in the 10s anyway. But for me, coming from the 10, the 10, or excuse me, the 11 Pro has been a tremendous leap, and I've noticed that it's really good. It, it is, it is phenomenal. And what I've come to realize is there's a couple things about the iPhone that make it to me, a better tool for the job of taking pictures of my family. First of all, if I'm ever taking a picture which is exposed in funny ways throughout the entire frame, so perhaps I'm taking a picture of a landscape with a very bright sun or something like that. And you can see an example of this um, when, if you look at Instagram, I had recently put up a post that has uh, a few shots of us at a local uh, botanical garden. And there's a shot mm -hmm. in particular that Declan is a little speck in the shot, but he is he is way up. Um, well, he's like in the middle of the frame and I'm way, way, way down on a hill. And there's a building at the top of the frame and or at the middle, actually the midline of the frame and then there's sky above it. And to have exposed this properly on my real camera would have been a nightmare. And as someone who doesn't really ever go back and edit his photos, this, this basically means that this is a photo I couldn't have taken with my camera. Yes, I understand. I could have mm -hmm. taken it and taken a couple photos and like mashed them together and done magic and things that I don't really understand how to do, but that's outside of my comfort zone. And so for me, this particular shot was best suited for the iPhone because of the HDR that it does to properly expose each portion of the frame. Um, where I find myself reaching for my big camera is when I really, really, really need to get close to something. So I know that the iPhone has a small telephoto lens, but it's only 2X. And I forget exactly how big my zoom lens is for my big camera, but it can get me a lot closer than the iPhone can. And so mm -hmm. I'll find if I am really dedicated to using, you know, to, to zooming in. So the perfect example of this is the beach. You know, if we're at the beach, that that camera pretty much only has the telephoto or the the zoom lens on it. And I will be using it from, you know, very shallow water to get pictures of Declan or Michaela or Aaron, you know, in deep water or whatever the case may be. The other time I find I turn to my big cameras if I'm taking like a portrait of someone. So basically anytime you would typically use portrait mode on your phone, then a portrait mode has gotten a lot better, but it's still just nowhere near having a proper camera with proper glass in front of it. And then mm -hmm. I will grab the big camera. But that's basically it. So if I need to, if I can stay dedicated to the telephoto lens, and that's the other thing, the camera, may, the, the iPhone makes it much quicker to switch between lenses than, than a removable lens camera. Uh, so if I'm dedicated to the telephoto lens or if I'm doing like, port, not portraiture in the sense of like sit still and let me take your picture, but like if I'm taking a lot of photographs of people where I want that really nice bouquet in the background and that background blur, then I'll grab the big camera. But pretty much any other time I've come to the conclusion that really the best camera that I own is as of a few weeks ago, the one in my pocket, which is both wonderful and really, really weird to more directly answer the question. Should you approach photography differently? I don't necessarily think so. I think it's just trying to use the iPhone or whatever your phone happens to be where it does best in low light without a flash, but still a little bit of light. Uh, you know, when you're taking an HDR shot and things of that nature. So it's not as much, approaching it differently as it is just trying to play to its strengths. Yeah. I've, I'll put a picture in the show notes too that I took uh, at a football game, before a football game this weekend. Same type deal. 
the HDR just nailed it. The field was in shadow, but it was the sky was still bright and it's all visible. And like shooting that on a traditional camera would be difficult for anyone. And this is a, an arena that you can't take a traditional camera into, right? Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it has its pros. And sure, there are occasions where I take a picture or I wish that I had my RX100 or my A7 III, but those times are less and less as the iPhone gets better and better. Yeah, it really, I cannot say enough good things about this this camera and this iPhone. It's tremendous. Brian asks, if you had to have one photo as your iPhone wallpaper for the rest of time, what would it be? So uh, I put this one in. I use a different lock screen and wallpaper and the different home screen wallpapers because I don't, I don't want a photo behind a bunch of icons. So that I change all the time. But my lock screen wallpaper has been the same for a really long time. It's a picture of my wife in a, uh, like a, bunny suit, I guess what they call them, like when you wear into an OR. So like, uh, you know, a thing to keep her hair back and she's wearing gloves. Our son was having uh, outpatient surgery. This is probably six or seven years ago. And she's looking at the camera. It was taken with a real camera uh, and giving like a thumbs up to the camera. <laughs> and I just love that picture of her. And that has been my lock screen wallpaper pretty consistently for a long time. And so I would just keep that one forever, probably. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, I actually struggle with this quite a bit, and I would genuinely appreciate tips about this because what I would like as a lock screen uh, photograph is something of the family of at least the three of them, if not all four of us. But so often I'll take that kind of a photograph in landscape. So like we took a really lovely picture at the beach this year where it's very, very wide, but it's beautiful. And all of us are smiling and happy, even Michaela, which is a very hard thing to do with a near two-year-old but it's so wide and so it'll never work. It's like a lock screen picture on a phone because it's, it, it would just be one of us instead of four of us. Mm-hmm. So I did take one before Declan's first day of preschool last year, where it was the four of us it just by happenstance standing in front of my car and we're all like clustered in really, really tight. Uh, I, if I had to choose just one for the rest of time, that's probably what I would choose. That being said, the one I currently have is one of the three of them on the rocking like nursing chair from when Michaela was still nursing in her room when they had just gotten out of the bath. And so it's Aaron and the two kids and they're all clustered fairly close to each other. So it makes it work as a lock screen photo. But um, but I think if I had to choose just one, that that one in front of the car kind of ticks all the boxes. It was the big camera. It's really well lit. It's a really crisp shot. And everyone squished in together such that it would actually work. Um so yeah, I think that would be that would be the one for me. I guess this will probably be the last one for this week. Mark Robinson asks, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this because you and I, I think, go in and out of love and hate with Twitter in very similar ways. Mark asks, how often do you delete your old tweets or emails and do you automate it? So I have deleted all of my tweets in the past. I did it the big, maybe sometime this spring. I nuked all of them. And I mean, the reasons aren't that complicated. Like I'm not worried that I've said something terrible in the past but culture changes and i don't particularly think twitter is a great company it just felt like the right thing to do so uh, i've done it in the past i'll do it again i'm thinking about doing it maybe doing it annually just starting over Uh, i've used a service for that called tweet delete all of these seem super sketchy because you have to give them your login and i revoke their access to my account as soon as it's done there's a bunch (laughs) of options out there to do this um they all do it with, you know, some degree of success. Uh, it seems like the Twitter API is kind of bad. And so, like, there's tweets that it can't reach. Like, it's like, I have 130 tweets. There's nothing on my account, but it 
they're there, ghost tweets. Uh, as far as emails, though, I never delete email. Yeah, same. In fact, when I saw this question, I looked on my, I have an external SSD called archives. And so I have like my three email accounts. I have personal one for like five twelve pixel stuff, and then one for relay. They all have a bunch of email on them, of course. But I also have archived mailbox exports from previous jobs, which I probably shouldn't have done in hindsight, because I say this out loud. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. And the companies I used to work for apparently had really bad security that this was let me do this. Uh, but you never know when something's going to become relevant again. And so I have those that I could dive into if I needed. But I'm a pack rat and I, I save everything. So probably not surprising to anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially now with your computer situation. Uh, I, yeah. I have not deleted old tweets yet. I am, I am a stiff breeze away from doing it. I don't know why I haven't, to be honest. I feel like, I feel like there's some amount of, I don't know if posterity is the word for it, but like I hate breaking links on the internet. Not that people link yeah. to my tweets that often, but I feel like guilty about the thought of deleting them. But if they're embedded somewhere, the text will stay embedded. So, oh, you know, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. So if I embedded a tweet of yours in a blog post, you're not going to break my site. It'll just be like a text. Sure, sure, sure. Quote. Huh. I'd, I'm not even considered. Well, that that might be the stiff breeze I needed. But anyway. Yeah. And, and, and I I'd export, like you can create an export. So I have them locally. Like I have my entire history, but there's not online anymore. Yeah. So I haven't deleted tweets yet. It's probably happening. I am confident that I have said something gross in the past. Like I don't, not, not necessarily deliberately, but as you said, culture changes, things change. Uh, I, I don't doubt that I've said something gross. And so I probably should delete them all, but I haven't yet. Uh, I do delete like spam emails and I presume that you do as well. Anything of any importance gets archived forever. Right. Even, even really useless, like feedback emails that, that don't really say much of anything. I'll still archive those because you never know. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that, and I have email going back probably to the early aughts at this point. Yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's just the way I handle it. We'll see how I handle it in the future. I wanted to throw in some last second, uh, real-time follow-up. You had mentioned, oh my goodness, how many photos will we have of our kids? Unlike the, you know, 12 that each of us has of ourselves, you know, because, uh, photos were much more expensive to take back when you had to use film and whatnot. Uh, when Declan was a week old, I couldn't remember if I had tweeted this or written a blog post. It is a blog post. I'll put in the show notes. When Declan was a week old, I put up like some like quick reaction thoughts to being a dad just because I wanted to talk about being a dad because I was so excited. One of those bullets reads as follows. I'm taking a lot of pictures, 474 in six days, 80 pictures a day at this rate, which obviously is very much slowed down. But anyway, at this rate, by the time he graduates high school, there will be half a million pictures and 4.25 terabytes of photos, assuming we never upgrade our camera, <laughs> which <laughs> I just think is funny. And again, we, I definitely take nowhere near that many photos. I, it, in fact, shortly after I wrote that blog post, I calmed down quite a bit, but I still think it's funny that here it is, you know, there's probably several hundred pictures of me throughout my entire first 20 years of my life. And yeah. there are several hundred of him within the first 24 hours of his life. Mm -hmm. And it's just wild how technology changes. Oh, it's ridiculous. It really is. It's, it's to the point that I'm genuinely having problems managing all these photos. And I delete a ton, don't get me wrong, but I'm having troubles figuring out the best way to manage <laughs> them all. And we, I could go on for hours on another time about that. Maybe we'll do a, maybe we'll do a B-side one day about that or something. But anyway, Stephen, for now, thank you for uh, pinch hitting for Mike while he was away. It is extremely kind of you. It is always a genuine pleasure to have you come in and be on the show with me. Um, and so maybe if Mike fires me, I'll, uh, I'll just do a show with you and we'll call it digital or something like that. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming in and visiting with me. Uh, it is always a pleasure. 
But yeah, thank you for having me.